if you would, uh, get your Bibles out with me. Uh, we'll have a fancy PowerPoint tonight, so we are going to have to get out the old trusty here. We've got a simple lesson this evening, If so if you would, get your Bibles out and turn with me over to the book of Philippians and the, uh, the second chapter, Philippians chapter 2, and we'll begin here in just a moment. We'll begin reading in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Who uh, who wants to be like Jesus? Show hands, maybe. Yeah. That's the goal, isn't it? We all want to be like Jesus. That's why we are here. That's what we're striving to do. But perhaps a, a better question, or at least a follow-up question to that, might be: Are you sure that you want to be like Jesus? We are supposed to be imitators of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us we should be imitators of God as dear children. First uh, Peter chapter 2, Peter tells us that we have been called for this purpose. Since Christ has suffered for, for us, leaving you an example, he says, that you should follow in his steps. To be like him, to follow him, that's, that's what it means to be a Christian. You know, we are striving to be like Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2 here, Paul is hitting on that same point here in verse 5 when he tells us to have this mind among ourselves or among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's telling us to have the, the same mind as, as Jesus, to, to act like him, to think like him, to, to imitate him, to be like him. And then he gives in verse 6 the example of of Jesus. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider or did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, in the form of God, all of the glory, all of the majesty, all of that that, that came with being in the form of God, he left all that. Left all that to, to come here and to live this, this humble existence. Uh, last, last week, uh, brother, brother Jay White uh, got up here and he, he was giving a little talk before with the Lord's Supper and Kind of, kind of blew my mind away with his, his thoughts and his comments. And we talked about the fact that, you know, heaven's the place we're all trying to go to. That's we're striving to be there. That's why we, we meet two times on Sunday and then Wednesday. That's why we spend all this time reading in our Bibles and praying. And we're trying to get to heaven. And that's where Jesus already was. He was already there. He left that to come here. But as, the, as Paul points out here in Philippians chapter 2, it wasn't just that he came here. But he came here and he took the, the lowest position available. And I want us to focus this evening on what it was he chose to do while he was here. That he chose to take this humble existence and he chose to practice obedience. Look again there in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient 
the point of death, even death on a cross. It's kind of an amazing thought that our God chose to come to this earth and to practice something like obedience. But we're just saying uh, the Thomas song, you know, how could this be part of the plan? Uh, that's a strange thought for me, on the surface at least, to think that, that God came and chose to spend his time to obey. Um, if I was God, that's not how I would choose to come here and spend my time. Uh, but that's what he chose to do. Come to cho- he chose to come and obey the will of the Father. And obedience that, that he practiced while here on this earth was, was not just a, some sort of rule following. I think sometimes uh, we, we think of obedience in those types of terms, don't we? We think of it in, in regard to following rules. Um, as long as I don't break the rules, I'm, I'm being obedient. I think a lot of times I, I read obedience in the scriptures, and that's kind of how I'm thinking about it, just following the rules, doing what's right. Um, but that's not really obedience, is it? Not a complete picture of obedience. Uh, can, can you imagine going to your job, and, and uh, you go to your job, and you, you follow all the rules there. Um, you're on time. You, you don't goof off on social media, you don't take extra breaks, you don't steal any company uh, property, Uh, you follow all the rules, but you don't really produce anything while you're there. You don't really do the job that you were hired to do. Imagine spending your time at your job in that way where you don't really do much, but you don't break any rules. And expecting your employer to be pleased with you because of that. You know, hey, hey, boss, I didn't steal any company property all week last week. Good job, me, right? It doesn't work that way. That's not what true obedience is. And that's not what Jesus did either. That's not the obedience that Jesus displayed while he was here. That's not what Paul means when he says he became obedient. Jesus didn't just live however he wanted and get a good carpentry business going and just not break the rules, not break the law of Moses. No, Jesus' obedience was complete obedience. It was a complete surrender to the Father's will. In fact, Paul points out it's even to the point of death. He did not just surrender to the rules of the Father, but he surrendered to the will of the Father. John chapter 5 and verse 19, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but but what he sees the Father do. But whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. I think also of Jesus as a little child, 12 years old. He told his parents, Did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? That was the obedience of Jesus. Full surrender of his entire life. Entire life given over the will of God. And so, think about ourselves. We think about being like Jesus. We think about being called for this purpose, to follow in his steps, to follow after his example. And if Jesus came here and lived a life of obedience, fully gave his life and did nothing of himself, How much more do you think that is required of you and I? That our obedience 
that in our obedience, we do nothing of ourselves. Colossians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul put it this way. He said, or do you not know that your body is a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? He says, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You have been purchased by God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. For you have died, he says, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And our New Testament is full of, of this concept, uh, uh, dead to self, alive to God, purchased by God, belonging to God, uh, that we've been given this new life, but, but that new life, it belongs to him. And I want to look at just a couple with, with you. Uh, if you'll turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. and We'll start reading there in, in verse 1 of Romans 6. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, he says. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man crucified. It was put to death that the body of sin might be done away with. and We should no longer be slaves of sin. Drop down with me, if you will, to verse 16. He says, or do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Uh, truth is, you're going to obey someone. We've been set free, but, but obedience is still a part of the plan. He says, but God, verse 17, be thanked that though you were a slave of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We still have a master to obey. We're still a slave. We're just slave to a better master. Um, one of my favorites also is Titus chapter 2. Turn over there. Titus, the second chapter. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Speaking of Jesus, he says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And I'll stop you right there. That's, uh, that's that freedom, right? That's that salvation in Jesus. Jesus gave himself for me that he might redeem me from all of my lawless deeds. That's, uh, that's the beautiful story of the gospel. That's... Uh, that's the part that I cling to. That's this morning as I partook of the Lord's Supper. That's, that's what I focused on. The fact that my God gave himself for me so that he could redeem me from all of my horrible, wicked ways. 
how undeserving I am of that and how blessed I am to have that. But he goes on there in verse 14 of Titus chapter 2 and he says that he did that to, to redeem me from every lawless deed, but also he says, and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. There was another reason that Jesus gave himself for me. It wasn't just to redeem me so that I can be freed from my sins. He did it for a purpose so that I could be his own special person, his own special person zealous for good works, obedient to his will. We were redeemed for a purpose, redeemed for a reason. My life is, as Jesus' life was lived, not supposed to be lived for myself, not anymore. My life is supposed to be hidden with Christ in God. And I'll tell you, I find that too often, far too often I find myself living this life like it's still mine to live. Comes to financial decisions, not always, but... I typically think first about how it's going to affect me. How I spend a Friday evening, usually think about what I want to do. How I spend my vacation time, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? All week, last week, what do I want for lunch? Where do I want to go? What am I hungry for? I want Mexican, I want Chinese, what? What, how are these things going to affect me? And not that it's wrong to consider ourselves in the decisions that we make, but for someone who has died with Christ, someone who has been buried with him through baptism into death, someone who is not their own anymore, who was bought at a price, someone who was redeemed for a specific pur- uh, purpose, I sure find myself making decisions like that all the time about all sorts of things with very little consideration about how those decisions affect my ability to carry out that purpose, carry out the will of God. Instead, financial decisions, I should think first, how will this affect my uh, ability to, to serve God? How I spend my Friday evening, my Thursday morning. How will this time be best used to serve God? Vacation time. Even where I go to lunch. Where might I be able to go that I can best be able to serve God in all the things that I do? That's what real obedience is about. That's what Jesus' obedience was about. Living a life of purpose. A life of submission to the will of God. I just wrote down a few passages here to to, uh, suggest to you. James chapter 1 and verse 22, he tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. we got to do the word. He says, otherwise you're deceiving yourselves. Later in that same chapter, he says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, Pure religion is a religion that, that acts. And does things. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
And my personal favorite is Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus describes the difference between the righteous and the wicked. And he describes that difference as being those who did or did not spend their time taking care of the needs of others. Christian life is a life of action, a life of work and of service. Not obeying just the rules of God, but obeying the will of God. So that was uh, kind of my long introduction. I wanted to get that out of the way because I want us to make sure we know what we're talking about when we talk about obedience. Not just talking about following the rules. We're talking about giving our lives to the purpose of God. And I want us to understand that because there's some, uh, there's some great promises in regard to or connected with our obedience to God. And that's what I want to look at with you this evening. Turn with me, if you will, over to the book of 1 John. 1 John in the second chapter. And I want us to point out here, first of all, from 1 John chapter 2, that, that our obedience to him, again, not just rule following, we're talking about giving our lives to the, the will of God, but that obedience to him is how we know that we belong to him. It's how we know that we have a relationship with him. Notice 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. You know, one of the, the biggest conversations among Christians today is, is the idea of having a, a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, people want to know Jesus, right? They want to uh, they want to experience Jesus. They want Jesus working intimately and personally in their lives. And you know, I say people, I want that too, right? I don't want Jesus working in my life. I want him to be an intimate part. I want to experience Jesus. Um, and John's telling us here that if we want that, if we want to know Jesus that way, it's real simple. It's very simple. That happens when we keep his commandments, when we are obedient to him. In fact, he said there, if you notice, that if you're not doing that, you're not keeping his commandments, you're not obedient to his will, then you can't know him. You cannot expect a relationship with him. In fact, John was a little bit more blunt than I am. John said, you're a liar. Uh, those are pretty harsh words, aren't they? Call someone a liar. In fact, these days in, in East Texas, if you call someone a liar, you can call people any name you want to call them, but you call them a liar, it's, it's go time, right? It's, those are harsh words. Uh, to call someone a liar. But think about the attitudes that that statement is directed towards. Pretty presumptuous. Someone to say, I know him. I know Jesus. Someone to claim all of Jesus' blessings, to, to pray to God and demand that God be concerned with all of our, our problems and all of our issues, to expect him to work intimately in our lives and do all of this stuff for us, but yet we don't even try to keep his commandments? Maybe that deserves some harsh words. You're a liar. The truth is not in you. You think God is going to do all of these things in your life while you do nothing? 
for him. That's what a lot of the world thinks today. God's he's here for you. Some genie that we can just call upon whenever we need we need some magic in our lives. We just call upon God and he's here to just make everything right for us. And if that's what you think God is all about, you don't really know God. You're a liar. That's not what God is about at all. Second John chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, everyone who goes ahead and does not abide, he doesn't, he doesn't live in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and Son. Notice that we read on there in 1 John chapter 2, read on there in verse 5. He says, but whoever does this, whoever keeps his word, Truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him on himself, also to walk just as he walked. To have a relationship with Christ requires us to do the things that Christ does. To walk just as Christ walked. Have you ever tried to have a relationship with someone who's a, interested in and participates in things that, uh, that you don't really like or do? You said, uh, it doesn't work, does it? And they're always talking about whatever weird thing that they're into, and, and they don't care anything about the stuff you're trying to talk to them about because they're interested in different things. It's hard to have a relationship there. There needs to be some sort of commonality with people in order for us to have those bonds that we're trying to, uh, to set with them. And our com- commonality with Jesus and that relationship with him is, is this idea of obedience, the keeping of the, the commandments, the obedience to the Father and to the Word and to the will of God. He said, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. First John chapter 2 and verse 29. We'll drop down there, uh, same chapter. Verse 29 of chapter 2, he says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. That's who Jesus is. And everyone who is born of him is the same way. They are also striving for righteousness. They are also striving for purity and, and holiness and obedience to the will of God. Look also, if you will, with me at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24. He says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. We abide in him first. We walk as he walked. We practice righteousness. We practice obedience. We practice the things that he practiced. And once we do that, then he abides in us. And I love the the promise here that John points out that, that if we'll do that, there will be no doubt. No doubt. If you are keeping his commandments, you are obedient to his will, you are abiding in him, you won't have to wonder as many do, if God is working in your life, you will know that God is working in your life. You ever had somebody ask that question? How do I know if God's working in my life? 
me tell you, if you are keeping his commandment, you are abiding in him, you won't need to ask that question. You will know. You'll know it by the spirit whom he has given you. We think about the spirit and the fruit that the spirit produces in us. Galatians chapter 5 tells us the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you are abiding in him, these things will be evident in your life. And not only in your life, but they'll be evident in, in the effect that you have on the lives around you. It's a power that is given to us by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will do amazing things, wonderful things to people who abide in Him, who abide in His Word and are obedient to His will and His purpose. And that's a powerful promise that we have, being obedient to the will of God. Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and uh, verse 23, Jesus says that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him. and We will come to him and make our home with him. I love that passage. If we will keep his word, his father, Jesus' father will love us. And we, both Father, Son, will come to him and make our home with him. Be honest, I'm not entirely sure what all he means by that. I'm pretty sure a lot of it's uh, definitely in a figurative sense that this happens, but I'm not entirely sure that this isn't to be understood completely figuratively. But if we keep his word, he abides in us. He makes his home with us. And I don't know about you, but I want some of that. I want the Father dwelling with me. I want Jesus dwelling with me. I want the Holy Spirit dwelling with me. And I do that. Simple. Keep his word. Keep his commandment. One last point. Our obedience uh, is also how we, we know that we love him. Uh, that's, a, that's a statement we hear by a lot of folks. We, we love Jesus, but uh, the scriptures tell us that we know that we actually, lo actually love Jesus by our obedience to him. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 when he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And in fact, he goes on to say in that same passage that on that day, many... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's a sad, sad passage in our Bible. How true that will be, many Many will call upon him. Many will claim they loved him. But Jesus says, if you love me, said there in John chapter 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Earlier in that same chapter, in verse 15, he said it very plainly. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Does a man really love his wife? 
if he's not faithful to her? Do children really love their parents if they refuse to be obedient to them? It's a simple concept. You love me, keep my commandments. Turn back with me, if you will, 1 John chapter 1. We're in 1 John chapter 2, but let's turn back to the first chapter. 1 John chapter 1. And I want us to close with what he says here in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. You know, the, the answer is not perfection. It's not perfect obedience that we're talking about. Our perfection comes from Christ. It comes from Christ alone. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. But in that same note, he points out that we cannot be walking in darkness. We walk in light. We walk in his light. We walk where he finds the light and tells us to go. We walk and do what he tells us to do. Most of the world, in fact, a lot of Christians, we live a little, little bit different life. We walk in our own light. We walk where we want to go in our own life. God says, no, you can't walk that way. You've got to walk in the light. We live for his glory and not our own. John points out here as we read further that that's not going to be easy. We're going to be, we will stumble. We'll fall from time to time. But God gives us a way to make those falls right, to make our obedience perfect, even though we can't. He said there in verse 8, that if we say that we have no sin, say that we're doing this just perfect, he says, we also deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say that we have not sinned. We make him a liar, and the word, his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Hopefully we are all striving to be like Jesus. And I think it's great that we serve a God that, that wants us to follow after him, wants us to be like him, but he knows that he knew we'd fail. He knew that we would, we would mess up. He gave us a way to, to attain to something that we could never attain to on our own. It's great that we serve a God uh, that lets us do that. I want us to come back, though, we close to thinking about the example that Jesus gave. That example of, of coming, leaving heaven in all of his glory and all of his might 
and all of that, and coming here and living this humble existence and living a life of obedience, a life of obedience to the will of God. I don't, uh, this isn't scripture, this is Todd talking, it's me talking. I've always imagined, I don't know what Jesus' prayers looked like in the morning, uh, but I've always imagined, uh, you know, my prayers, I, I like to walk outside, I'm a I'm a nature guy, so I like to see the trees and the sky and all that stuff when I pray. And so in my, in my morning, I, I pray to God, and I, I praise him, and I thank him for the, the trees and the birds and the sky and the day, and, and I ask him to help me throughout my day and all those sorts of things. But I kind of imagine Jesus, he had a purpose. I imagine his prayers were maybe a little bit different as he looked the sky or however he addressed the Father in the morning. It was more like, what today, God? What's on the agenda today? What do you want me to do? I tried to incorporate that into my prayers. Today's your day. What do you want me to do? Maybe totally different than what I had planned, but it'll be so much better in the end. If you were a not being obedient to the will of God this evening. You don't know him. You don't love him. But he loves you. He gave you a way to make that right. We're offering an invitation at this time. That's for anyone whose life is not right with God. We want you to make that right. God wants you to make that right. He wants you to know him. He wants, the, he wants you to love him. He wants you to experience this life that's so much better than what you're living right now. If we can help you do that, get your life right with Jesus in any way, all you have to do is come forward now as we all stand and as we sing.